0: To Very Amusing, your one-stop shop for the stories, secrets, and shenanigans of a popcorn-fueled theme park journalist. I'm Carly Wiesel, and if that hello felt very loud and long, it's because I just looked at my mic, and it's it's in a weird position, and I just got in from getting coffee, and I'm still wearing a mask. (laughs) But I promise I have it all together. Not at all like I'm just chugging on through the end of 2021 and I'm sure many of you feel the same. So if you are out there also recording your audio with your mask on accidentally, I am there with you in solidarity. The holiday break cannot come soon enough. Now I really, I have been living life because last year we were not able to do any fun holiday stuff and this year we are, and I live in LA. So thankfully in California, You can do whatever you want outside, and it's real easy-peasy. I had a wonderful weekend, and I finished that weekend by going to Universal Studios Hollywood to see their holiday activations, I guess is to sound extremely corporate about it. But I got to see Grinchmas, I got to see Christmas at the Wizarding World of Harry Potter... And I gotta say, that park really benefits from the holiday overlay. Everything looked so nice. It really felt so special on the upper lot there. Even the, the Secret Life of Pets area, they had this huge banner that said, Happy, Merry, Everything, which I thought was such a nice touch. It was really a good time. But I will tell you, the one thing I did not expect, because I have gone to Universal Studios Hollywood for the holidays probably five or six years in a row now, since I moved here. I completely forgot that because of LA County's mandate, because Universal Studios Hollywood has to have everyone wearing masks indoors and outdoors that these citizens of whoville would also be wearing masks that the pandemic would land in whoville like in dr seuss's wonderland uh all the way down to cindy lou who and the grinch wearing masks now i never thought i'd see the grinch wearing a mask as you know i am pro mask i want i want these performers to be safe etc etc but the grinch really doesn't seem like the personality type Wanna uh, willingly wear a mask, considering the name? And if that dude doesn't like Christmas, he surely doesn't like working in a mask for an eight-hour shift every day. Otherwise, th- the festivities were wonderful. I got to eat at Harry Potter. I went with my best friend Rebecca, who we grew up together, and Rebecca was with me on my bachelorette party the one that made me become a theme park reporter to the point where Rebecca introduced me to Disney podcasts I did not know they existed and I remember we were driving oh my god we were driving to Universal Studios Florida and Rebecca pulled out the Diz Unplugged and we all couldn't believe that these Disney podcasts existed this was six seven years ago and now Here I am making one, and some of the people at Disunplugged Unplugged are unlucky enough to be my friends. (laughs) So, uh, Craig, if you're listening, I don't think Corey or Ryan will listen, but Craig, if you're listening, hi. uh, I I guess this solidifies a new level of our friendship. Anyway, it is Shrek Sember, and I am so excited about this week's episode. We are talking to Sam Summers, a self-proclaimed Shrek expert, a film PhD, an animation lecturer, a podcaster, and an all-around phenomenal guest i don't want to keep you from it but if anybody has any questions about holidays at universal studios hollywood hit me up uh call 747 churros i will let you know i had a great time it was really lovely it was really lovely i don't know why i wanted to loop back on it but i did because it was such a good time all right uh stick around we'll be back with more shrek goodness after this break I first came upon this week's guest, Dr. Sam Summers, from a tweet by podcaster, comedian, and hot dog empress Jamie Loftus. On November 13th, Jamie posted about waking up at 3 a.m. on a Saturday to attend a seven-hour Zoom call about Shrek's cultural impact. Now, if there was ever a tweet to put a pin in to circle back on, it was that one. You may remember Jamie from our Shrek retold episode back in Shrek Sember 2020. Oh yeah, we're treating it like it's a real month. And as you'll hear in this interview, the paths through the forest of Shrek fandom converge more often than not. Still, there was indeed a full virtual conference on our beloved ogre, and it was helmed by none other than this week's guest. How does one even find themselves in a position to create two decades of Shrek, an online academic symposium? Well, one must first be an expert in Shrek. A shrek expert, if you're feeling fancy. And Sam Summers is absolutely a top-notch academic when it comes to the kingdom in question. With a PhD in film, a gig as an associate lecturer in animation at Middlesex University, and plenty of published works analyzing the Shrek franchise, there's really no one better to go to to discuss the enduring fandom and obsessive culture surrounding these wildly unique films. And nobody... Better to raise my big old questions about if Shrek would be willing to spin a dreidel. More on that to come. I'll add, though, that this is not all Sam Summers specializes in. No, no, no. Sam also has a Disney animation podcast called Disneyversity, which I highly recommend you check out if you're deep into Disney films. It's co-hosted with Ben Travis, a journalist at Empire, the UK's hugely influential film magazine. And if you're, like, weird, plugs like this usually come in the episode towards the end, well, Jeff Fox already built the bulk of the episode for me earlier this week, and I'm tasked with my myself slotting this right in the middle because I was too close to deadline. So, additionally, if this interview audio doesn't sound crystal clear and perfect like it usually does, just know that is my fault. It's good old me and not our beloved Jeff Fox. Tinkering around with GarageBand, pretending like I know what I'm doing with my rudimentary self-taught editing skills, blame that if the audio sounds a bit junky. But really, to go back to what I was just saying, you should subscribe to Disneyversity to hear college course level discussions of the movies you know and love. I highly, highly recommend you subscribe. But anyway, it's not Winnie the Pooh-vember, it's Shrek's time, and we're going to dive deep this week with Sam. The discussion was so enlightening because I often take so many of these films that are a part of our culture and entertainment for granted, and to analyze Shrek's lasting legacy and what it stands for in the many interpretations, it's really interesting and something we don't often get to dive into here on Very Amusing since we focus more on theme parks than on film, which is why I'm so excited to bring you this episode. So with no further doggy paddling in the mud outside that big green ogre's home, here's Dr. Sam Summers and I chit-chatting about the deeper meanings behind Shrek. Hi, how are you doing?
3: I'm great. I'm very excited for this. This, is, uh, this promises to be a fun conversation, I think.
0: I'm excited for this, too, because I, you know everything. I mean, I'm just it's really <laughs> nice to like talk to someone who's the preeminent scholar about Shrek.
3: Yeah, I mean knowing everything is—I uh, <laughs> don't know if I'd if i if I'd make that claim. Um, there's, I'm sure you will have found some things out in your uh, extensive research into this topic that might have eluded me. But um, in terms of like academic publishing on the subject, yeah, I'm, I'm one of the one of the top guys somehow. Yes.
0: Can you tell me how? How we got here? How we got to sitting in a Zoom on opposite ends of the world talking about Shrek?
3: Well, in my life, yeah. <laughs> t- how, t- how did t- you through become my life choices?
0: The like the go to Shreksburg.
3: Well, it's, it's, it was fairly easy to do because there was nobody else doing it. And that, that's kind of when you, when you sit down and um, decide that you want to get a PhD in something. So I, at some point I thought, oh, I'll get a PhD in animation studies, history of animation. That will be my life. Um, that's a decision that I made when I was probably too young to be making such decisions. And that's how we end up in a situation like this. So... The thing about doing a PhD is you have to make an original contribution to knowledge. You have to be able to say something in your thesis that no one else has really said before, or cover a topic that no one else has really covered before. So, I was like, "What are some of the biggest, most influential animated films that have been released over the last, you know, decade or so?" I was, you know, in about 2014, I was going through this process, and oh, it's Shrek there's been a fairly limited body of work on the movie Shrek, partly because at this point it's it's quite recent and more recent, you know, academia is a slow process. More recent films are going to take longer to be written on, take longer to be historicized. So Shrek and the DreamWorks canon more broadly really stood out as this really influential body of work that hadn't been the subject of much academic study. So it was, okay, original contribution to knowledge, that's what I'll do. I'll, I'll spend three years of my life writing about Shrek. And here we are, what, seven years later. (laughs) It's still, it's still the main focus of my work, the main focus of my career, I suppose. I thought I would escape him, but I haven't.
0: God, it's, I mean, like few rose to the challenge and you just accepted (laughs) it completely.
3: Yeah, I suppose so. And, you know, since I started that, there's been a a lot more out there on Shrek as well. It's not just me. And, you know, as you know, we've just had this Shrek symposium where we had, what, around 12 different academics from around the world presenting on different aspects of the film. And hopefully in the near future, that'll be compiled into a book as well. So, yeah, it's it's a quickly developing field, as we like to say, in academia.
0: Oh, my God. I mean, I would love to know everything about two decades of Shrek, an academic symposium, the official title, <laughs> which I imagine in green lights. Mm. How did this come together? Was Were these mostly your colleagues? Were these people you've connected with through your work? How, how did you get something like this off the ground?
3: Well, some of them are people I've already connected with. Maybe about half were people who I already knew, people who I've already worked with in some capacity in the past. But you know, When you're putting together something like this in academia, you just send out the call. There are mailing lists, there are Twitter feeds that you can use. You try and publicize it as best you can. And this, you know, group from around the world answered the call and sent me in all of their ideas. And, you know, some people I reached out to if I wanted certain people to talk about certain things. But uh, yeah, it ended up with a really interesting gathering of people from different countries, people from different backgrounds and different academic disciplines as well but it it happened because it was two decades of shrek and you know like i say i I thought i would have escaped shrek by now i published my book last year um now i have to remember what it was called dreamworks animation call on intertextuality and aesthetics in shrek and beyond yes i saw the
0: title and was like i don't even know what some of these words mean
3: (laughs) (laughs) so that's the book that kind of developed from my phd thesis uh, you know around 60, 70% 60 70% of that is what I wrote during that PhD. Um, and for me, I was like, okay, that's it, that's a line drawn under Shrek. Now it's time to move on, it's time to look at something else. And then this year was the 20th anniversary, so not long had the book been out that I start to get emails and, and Twitter DMs and phone calls from again people from all over who've just happened to Google me or whatever, Googling Shrek expert Shrek academic I don't know how people found me I don't know how you found me people (laughs) people looking for
0: like the singular Shrek source
3: yeah and um so my inboxes start to pile up with these interview requests and stuff and I will do anything for attention obviously so I I say yes and before you know it everything's about Shrek again and I haven't really had time to breathe and now it's all Shrek 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 once again And, and it just felt like okay This isn't over. People still want to talk about this movie. People still want to write about this movie. My book is by no means the definitive kind of statement on the movie Shrek. You know, there's lots more that can be said. So let's bring people together and try and, you know, put out an even more definitive set of academic papers talking about the history and and the legacy and um, the contents of this movie.
0: Were there any details or perspectives from your symposium that other people brought to the table that were new to you or that you haven't heard of?
3: Yeah, I mean, like I say, there was people coming from, like, disciplines that I hadn't even really thought of in the context of Shrek. So we had someone who was a professional costume designer who was doing a PhD in costume design for film who gave a presentation on the costumes in Shrek. So so she was pointing out details that I hadn't even noticed before, that maybe I should have noticed before, like the fact that the outfit that Lord Farquaad gets married in is just a palette swap of the outfit that he wears for the whole rest of the movie, because that was cheaper to do at the time in 2001. Let's just change the colours on the outfit. I had not noticed that before. I've watched this movie like 20 times, and it never clicked that that's the exact same outfit, but in slightly different colours. So that was an interesting one. Um, you know, you had people tackling Shrek as an analogy for... um disability as, uh, you know, you had people tackling the the depiction of of race in Shrek, and particularly through the character of of Donkey, because all of the human characters in Shrek are Caucasian, so you have to read between the lines a bit if you're going to do a racial analysis of that film. Obviously, we had quite a few feminist readings. Another really interesting one was an essay that looked at the presentation of every single book-like object in Shrek. So the books or pamphlets or magazines or anything like that, um, she had identified every single one and, and done a little aesthetic analysis of, of how those things are presented in the films, which is, that's kind of crazy on level that I hadn't even tapped into yet.
0: Oh my god, that's incredible. It's It's so interesting to me because I'm pretty familiar with the meme community, like the young, goofy Shrek fan community, which I assume most of my listeners are also familiar with at this point. You know, like the TikToks of people making cakes with Shrek's butt and it's like sticking out of a mud pile, that type of stuff, like the silly Shrek fandom. But what is the vibe in the academic community? Like, what is it like with your peers, the ones who wouldn't have participated in the symposium, when you tell them like this is the focus of your studies? What What do you get back from them?
3: Well, you know, I mean, I that's an interesting question. I move in a few different circles so for example if I'm talking to colleagues who primarily study English literature because I've taught in in like university English departments before it does kind of land a little bit like oh what okay and some of them are like oh my god that's really cool I never thought you could study that before and some people like you do get the vibe that it's like all right okay you will like study the serious stuff over here and you can (laughs) go over there with your cartoon movies but that that is definitely the minority Um, But, you know, most of my work for the last, like, seven years has been within the animation studies community, and there's not as much snobbery there, because animation studies as a discipline for years has been a little bit kind of underappreciated within film studies and cultural studies more broadly, and that's changing as we go. But I think for someone who'd spent their life studying maybe movies that, people might be immediately more inclined to take more seriously, like maybe the works of Studio Ghibli or the classical Disney stuff or even Pixar. I think it will be still a little bit rich for them to be like, wait, you're studying Shrek. What's the point in that? Um, because, you know, you could, a lot of people would say that about studying animated movies and children's movies more generally. So the the academic community is generally quite receptive to it. And, and within, you know, the people who contributed to this symposium, there is a little bit of crossover between what you might consider to be like the, the weirdo online meme community. Um, I would say that compared to other academic conferences of a similar nature, the age of the presenter is skewed fairly young. Uh, I'm, I'm just gone 29, which is fairly young in, in academic years. Um, I don't, don't want to make it look like I'm some kind of spring chicken or anything but you know for an academic that's fairly young and this this generally skewed younger so you did get people I mean there was someone giving a paper on Shrek memes and there's a chapter in my book on Shrek memes as well so it is uh there is a little bit of crossover between people who appreciate that and maybe participate and maybe participate in that culture to an extent Um, but then you do have older people who've been studying uh, animation for decades you know who are just uh, who are just interested in what is new and interested in this it's not a new film but I think the way that it's been remediated by the internet and the way that it is appreciated in in the kind of contemporary cultural landscape is quite new and does speak to new phenomena in the way that we consume media today so there's there's lots of different topics you can spin off from looking at Shrek. And I think that meme side of things is actually one of the most interesting and brings about some of the most engaging discussions.
0: Yeah, I mean, as the leading slash only expert (laughs) for these films, uh, what do you think it is about them that kind of permeates internet culture so widely because a lot of younger people who are familiar with Shrek, who participate in all of this stuff, didn't necessarily grow up with it. So there are some people who have a nostalgia factor, but there are other people who truly have latched on to this after the films came out. What is it about this character and these films that resonate so deeply with
3: them? Right, I mean I'm teaching students now, like 18 year old students who come into my classes were not born when the movie Shrek came out you know so that is wild but they know the character and they've come you know that for some people that might have been one of the first animated films they saw so it was different for people like me and yourself who well i was I was at the right age to um have seen the Disney Renaissance movies and then see Shrek, which has taken those films as one of its primary targets and in real time, have my attitudes towards those films kind of altered and like, Oh wait, they're quite corny. And like, now I'm like 10, I'm 11 years old. and It's like, all right, those movies are kind of corny. This is what's cool. This movie has smash mouth, (laughs) you know, those movies didn't have smash mouth. What was I wasting my time with those things for that? That's kid stuff. So I think for people who did grow up with the movie, it, it, for a lot of people, it did make that kind of tangible intervention into their media consumption, right? It changes your attitude towards the kinds of films that you watch for a lot of people. But, yeah, a lot of people weren't old enough to remember that, didn't have that experience. So why has Shrek become such a... become a meme with such longevity in within the last, what, six, seven years? Why hasn't that been the case with, movies, like, you know, Pixar movies, Toy Story, Monsters, Inc. Find a Nemo movies that came out around the same time. They are loved. People still watch them and enjoy them, but they haven't contributed to meme culture in the same way. They don't get remixed in the same way. Remixed and is think... such
0: a polite word for some of the things
3: I've seen. <laughs> Remixed, remediated is, is what you might say, um, what I might call it in my book. But it's it's because... Shrek and texts like Shrek, which are somewhat postmodern, which do um deal in the criticism of other works within the text themselves. Like Shrek is a movie about remediating fairy tales, about remediating Disney movies, about remediating smash mouth songs and the Dayton game and all sorts of different texts that it references in that film and and often makes fun of. And I think movies like that train the people that consume them to remediate them in a similar way. So if you look at other cultural texts from around the same point in time that have received similar treatment on the Internet, things like SpongeBob or The Simpsons, where you also get a lot of weird memes and remixes and stuff. And I would still say Shrek is king, but maybe that's biased. Um, But they are also postmodern texts. They are also intertextual. They also kind of challenge the limitations of form and Um, are in dialogue with other movies and TV shows that exist around them. So I think these kinds of texts train their audiences to respond to them in a certain way whereas something like the Disney princess movies which are for the most part you know especially the the traditional hand-drawn ones far more earnest and straightforward and sentimental they train their audiences to respond to them in a specific way as well so if you type in like Disney princess fan art it'll be like here's all the princesses hanging out together or here are all the princesses wearing like modern clothes or something that's as far as it gets in terms of remixing you'll change the style of outfit or something like that if you type in Shrek Fan art—it's horrific. It's you know, it's, it's it's bizarre. It's strange. It's weird. So, so my theory is that these remixes are doing to Shrek what Shrek did to Disney because Shrek has trained them in the ways of the postmodern, in the ways of the remix and the mashup.
0: That's brilliant. I mean, I I know I know it's supposed to be because of who you are and what you do, but that is so smart. Yeah, you're absolutely right that's why they're so out there because it's just like a, a carbon copy of yet again the same behaviors
3: <laughs> yeah and you, you talk to these people i know you've talked to grant dufferin as yes. have i what an interview he is but um you know i've talked to yes. other for, people uh, for me. anyone
0: who is Sorry. like oh that name grant sounds familiar uh grant is behind shrek fest which we did uh Ember 2020 and shrek retold so grant is is the meme king when it comes to shrek stuff
3: Yeah, but when you talk to Grant, he he says, I'm not actually that bothered about Shrek. Grant (laughs) likes to make art. Grant likes to remix things and mash things up and and put on these big events. The fact that it's Shrek is almost incidental to him. And then you talk to other people who make Shrek memes and they're like, oh, yeah, I love Shrek. I grew up with Shrek. It's my favorite movie. And then you talk to still other people and they're like, yeah, I hate Shrek. I I make fun of Shrek. I make these memes because... I think it's a dumb movie that should be made fun of. So you've got people coming at it from completely different angles that end up with the same result, right? These memes have a similar kind of aesthetic regardless of who's making them and what their relationship with Shrek is. So I think there's something inherent in that property that demands of its audience that they treat it in a certain way.
0: Wow. I, I mean, because it is Ember, I have to ask you about the book it's based on, Shrek by William Stagg. Uh, I don't know how deep the swamp of your expertise goes when it comes to the original text, but I, I believe, as we've discussed before this, uh, I am a firm believer in the fact that I have made a annual podcast holiday out of it, that the text of Shrek is a Jewish text. is written by a Jewish author. Shrek, the name is Yiddish, which is a Jewish language. In the first episode of Shrek's Ember, I interviewed multiple people about how it's an allegory for East European Jews. Do you have any professional or personal opinion on the matter in terms of Shrek's religious beliefs?
3: So I am not Jewish. <laughs> I am not a student of Judaism. Um, so my, my grasp on that subject is 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 somewhat limited as an academic. You know, it's not something I would want to analyze in the same way I would analyze the movie Shrek. And um, but, I mean, it's it's totally it's valid. It's a valid thing to it's a, it's a valid theory to put forward. I think, absolutely, you can read the text as Jewish. I think that's there. You can read it as an analogy for the Jewish experience, and and that may or may not have been what uh, Steigen intended. That may or may not have been what. Jeffrey Katzenberg intended, the producer of the film, although, you know, Judaism was at the forefront of his mind and the minds of his collaborators when they were making The Prince of Egypt, for example, which is, you know, only a couple of years before Shrek, one of DreamWorks' first movies, and which is clearly an explicitly Jewish film. Um, So I, I think... And regardless of of, of really who made something or the intentions that they may have had, I think it's always valid to read a movie like that. You know, like I said, we have people at the symposium reading Shrek as an analogy for um, people with disabilities and the various characters as, as reflecting the experience of the disabled person going through life. And, you know, that's valid, even though nobody who made the movie was necessarily... Uh, disabled in any way but you can still read it in that way you can read it I think very obviously as a queer analog as well there's there's a lot there um because it's quite a rich text if we're talking about whether or not Shrek the character is Jewish that's slightly different right and is that is that I'm just trying to get a handle on what you're putting forward here are you also suggesting and I I say this with no I'm not intending to criticize or um (laughs) or endorse (laughs) this idea just yet are you suggesting that Shrek the, the big green man is Jewish?
0: I am suggesting he's Jewish. I think okay. he is, <laughs> I think there is an argument to be made that he could be Jewish. Granted, there is, you know, Shrek the Halls, a holiday short, but my chosen interpretation of it is that he is in an interfaith marriage. And that Fiona, and therefore their children, celebrate Christmas or the version of Christmas as depicted in his world. And he himself, given that he he carries on the Yidd- a strong Yiddish name, so there is still a tie to something. So I think that he is arguably Jewish slash we should be able to see him wearing a silly dreidel Hanukkah sweater inside the theme parks.
3: Okay, cool, right. That's where I thought you were at. And I, I think that's really interesting. I think that's a great interpretation. So I was watching, I went back and watched Shrek the Halls. And yeah, I think that's, that's totally true. Shrek, Shrek in Shrek the Halls does not celebrate Christmas. He doesn't even really know what Christmas is. He right? is trying to put on the best possible Christmas for Fiona, who does know what Christmas is, and who I have to assume, based on the vague time period in which the movie is set, is a Catholic. That's just, you know, historically... It's what she would have been. So, but we do get this line from Shrek at the climax of, of Shrek the Halls when um, it, it becomes clear to his friends and, and family that he does not really know what Christmas is. And he's, and he's kind of getting a bit upset about this. And he says, "August don't celebrate Christmas. August don't celebrate anything. Which suggests to me, if Hanukkah and the other Jewish festivals exist, within the Shrek universe, Shrek's probably not involved with that either. I don't know if that precludes Hanukkah or not.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I would argue that um, just, I would say it is possible that Shrek being a Jewish ogre, uh, from the information I've been given, that he would be Jewish, but he might or might not celebrate Hanukkah. I mean, Hmm. someone is as, as, uh, a, an adult who is in a household without children, Hanukkah, I have found is really <laughs> something that I did with my parents growing up, lighting the candles every night. Um, we have eight days of gifts because you gotta compete with a December holiday. You gotta give Right, a Exactly. Something. So there's like a prayer element, a lighting candles element, a playing dreidel element, a gift element. And now that I'm currently, you know, it's just me and my husband, we don't have kids. We light the candles. And then 30 seconds later we walk away. So, maybe he is now considering celebrating it now that he is uh, Fergus, Farkle, and Felicia. Are those
3: three? <laughs> <laughs> That's the one, yeah.
0: Uh, granted, I do have a deep agenda to see some sort of mm-hmm. Jewish representation inside a theme park by way of Shrek, but I I could see him not celebrating anything given his personality. Given his yes. personality, yes. yeah.
3: Even if he had been raised Jewish, yes. he might've just thought, oh, you know what? This isn't for me. This, I'm living on my own in a swamp this Hanukkah thing isn't for me. Yeah, I can get that. And and so I was looking into it a bit more and just trying to figure out how religion works in the Shrek universe, right? Because Farquaad and Fiona get married in what looks like a church, right? They get mm-hmm. married by a guy dressed as a priest who then officiates Shrek and Fiona's wedding. Although, you know, in the fifth couple, does not mean Shrek is not Jewish, but they seem to have a Christian wedding. I
0: appreciate so religion... the acknowledgement. Thank you, thank you.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So religion... <laughs> exists a version of Christianity exists and again this this is a scenario based on a medieval version of Western Europe so it makes sense that Christianity is, is the dominant religion um but here's here's something I don't know if you've considered this uh, Joan Rivers exists in the Shrek universe
0: yes she does <laughs>
3: so John Rivers is Jewish right <laughs>
0: Uh yes, I believe so.
3: <laughs> yeah, so, so 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 there are so there are Jewish people in the in the Shrek universe. John Rivers plays herself in Shrek Two, so there are Jewish people in the world of Shrek. So he so he could be Jewish on that I, basis.
0: I mean, listen, you're the expert. I'm not going to question you.
3: <laughs> yeah, but you're you're the expert out of the two of us on on Judaism, so. <laughs>
0: Oh, it's true. I mean, I should not be wearing that crown, but yes, <laughs> you are right because Shrek Two is the one with a with a hook because the director is Jewish and mm-hmm. there is there are some more elements there to I believe he made some strides to make it more of a Jewish film. But if Joan Rivers is in is in the universe, you're right.
3: It could happen. I mean, so, uh, the way that I think we should be looking at Shrek's Judaism, if such a thing exists, isn't the way that a lot of these early DreamWorks movies play with um, what you might call real-world contemporary ethnicities and cultures and, and races, right? Um, so if you look at a movie like Shark Tale, which I think is a more explicit example of this than Shrek, are you familiar with Shark Tale?
0: Vaguely. I'm slightly old for it. i like okay. just past it.
3: And it doesn't have much of a theme park presence, if any. So, No, yeah. So, so shark tail um, ha- is a world of fish, but there is a delineation within that world between black fish and white fish. The Will Smith fish refers to the Martin Scorsese fish as a white fish. So there are versions of real life human ethnicities and cultures and races. And you know, to say nothing of the fact that all the gangster sharks are Italian-American, which is problematic in and of itself, but we'll, we'll leave that there for now. They map real-life human culture onto these characters in order to help us the audience relate to the world and there are definitely elements especially in a movie like shark Tale, which has been criticized by people of all quarters for how it depicts um, black people caribbean people Uh, italian americans there are certainly problematic elements to that but the the impulse is still there and the impulse is still clear in shrek and the shrek movies to make these movies more relatable to 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 average people despite their fantastical settings, by incorporating elements of contemporary culture so the most prominent example in the shrek movies is probably um far far away which is modeled on beverly hills it's modeled on hollywood so when shrek journeys from his swamp into far far away we as the audience having some kind of, of cultural understanding of what hollywood is of what beverly hills is of what that represents in the real world the kind of person who might live there we get an idea of what this means for shrek going from like a small town swamp guy kind of independent into this very consumerist very wealthy um, very kind of preppy world with like this veneer of, of positivity that the characters like the fairy godmother are hiding behind we understand what beverly hills means for that character because we understand what it means for us in our world so i don't know it, 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 i think if you are if people are interpreting shrek as a jewish character then that could be a possibly less explicit version of this process of of Engendering these fictional fantastical characters with the traits of real life cultures in order to speak to the, the contemporary audience, right? So if if, if if Jewish people can see Judaism, whether religiously or ethnically or, or culturally, in the character of Shrek and somehow relate to that character, well, then that's the exact same, um, it's that's the exact same technique that's being applied more explicitly in the case of some like far, far away, or like the, the African American depicted fish and shark tail
0: i just gotta say uh your students are very lucky because this <laughs> is incredible and i would pay to go to a course of this oh my god wow thank you so much for your time i appreciate it uh this was wonderful and i i just need you to know i will be saying that a shrek expert told me that i can believe shrek is jewish
3: and i will allow that
0: thank you <laughs> that, is,
3: that, that is fine a cosine
0: <laughs> um, means the world
3: <laughs> you can you can write a chapter for the book um, if you get a phd <laughs> first <laughs> <Plus>. <laughs>
0: well i'm not gonna do that but if you need like someone yelling an addendum being like i strongly believe this
3: yeah right just a little a little, a little quote on the back yeah on the blurbs and like i heartily <laughs> endorse these theories call yes. me myself great
0: right, thank you so much again
3: Bye, see you later. Bye.
0: Bye. Okay, you know that feeling that everyone knows something that you don't? For me, that used to be Quince. But no more. Quince is a truly astounding retailer, essentially carrying everything a person on your mood board would wear. We're talking washable silk blouses, chic leather bags, 14 karat gold jewelry, European linen dresses. And the best part of all is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They're up here with $50 Mongolian cashmere sweaters. $50! Beautiful, timeless items you can wear and actually live in. Meaning, you don't have to be scared to bring them on your theme park travels. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And if you're sensitive to retailers like I am, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. But it's not just your everyday work-life clothes. They have everything. I recently joined a new gym, big deal for me, and desperately needed new workout clothes to wear there. It's kind of like an LA gym, it's like it kind of got to look cute. So I ordered a pair of their Ultraform bike shorts and high-rise pocket leggings, and when I tell you, the quality of these leggings is truly on par with brands I paid three times as much for. Which really kind of makes me love these three times more. I'm not only going to buy them again, but buy the other travel stuff in my cart because they have things like beautiful pastel suitcases for 129 bucks and these wildly affordable compression packing cubes that I have been waiting forever to buy compression packing cubes and they're always so pricey and here the price fits. So if you want to get ready for work, your new gym, travel, anything in your life, go to Quince. Quince.com slash amusing will get you free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. Ooh, that's nice for someone who puts stuff off like I do. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E.com slash amusing to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash amusing.
4: Hi, Carly. My name is Erin. I have a Shrek adjacent, like logistics and engineering-ish question um, that maybe isn't quite your beat, but worth the shot. I went to Halloween Horror Nights in Orlando uh, this year, and I noticed that one of the houses was in one of the Shrek 4D theaters. My question is purely practical, and it is, how? Is it backstage? Do they remove the seats? My only clue is that this particular house, Case Files on Earth, was very twisty and like uh, there were a lot of turns It, it definitely felt like you were snaking through something so not sure if this is something you'd cover but something that i felt like was worth a shot thanks anyway bye
0: okay so to first bring everybody up to speed yes halloween horror nights at universal studios florida regularly utilizes one of the two shrek 4d theaters for a haunted house every year the other theater Is Shrek 4D business as usual? They have two for capacity purposes, but sadly don't need both for the Shrek 4D demand as of late, especially considering the attraction is going away next year. But I spoke to some anonymous sources who are HHN experts, and I think I got you your answer. So from what I'm told, typically when the HHN house is being built in that one Shrek 4D theater... They will remove the seats from that theater. I'm even told you can probably see the animatronics when you walked through if you knew where to look. So it seems like the majority of the theater is intact and they just removed the seats so that there is space for the haunted house. If you felt twisty, turny while you were in there, it's likely more for the infrastructure and the shape of that space. My understanding is that they wind you back and forth because the space itself is smaller, space within there is limited, so they're trying to pack as much punch by utilizing that type of pathway. And another small, small little thing, I was told that if it seemed windy in that house in particular, it's because they hooked up a large AC unit on the outside because it was too hot in there. The more you know. But yes, the seats are removable. So hopefully that answers your question. Thanks so much for calling.
4: Hi, Carly. This is Lauren. I am calling from Orlando, and I kind of have a Shrek-related question. Uh, so, of course, they are replacing Shrek 4D. They haven't said uh, what is replacing it over at Universal Studios, but I was wondering what you think should go in its place. Uh, if it's a different kind of Shrek attraction, what would you like to see in the parks And if it's not Shrek, what do you think is likely taking its place? I just want to know what your uh, thoughts are. Of course, nothing has been confirmed, but it's always fun to kind of guess. Happy Tonica, and thanks for doing Shrek December for year two.
0: I know that you asked what I think that they will put in place of Shrek 4D, but I'm going to tell you what they should put in place of Shrek 4D. While I would love there to be a Shrek attraction, maybe a Shrek dark ride like the one that is in Dubai, I believe it is. That would be incredible. But I'm going to think realistically, I'm going to think, you know, budgets are tighter. We are still in a pandemic. I don't want to throw anything wackadoo out there. So I'm going to be very realistic with my response. And that is that I think that they should demo the Minions attraction and they should make a Minions dark ride between the two. If you can't take away the real estate of that walkway in the middle at Universal Studios Florida, you can have a two-story ride and then part of the ride is moving from one building to the other. So you enter one building, you exit out the other one. There needs to be a physical Minions presence. And what better than a dark ride? I mean, those figures just repeated all over would be so cool. And the Minions attraction, while it's like fine, I don't love just another screen 4D style thing. And if we're putting in the money, we're going to do some demo. You know, Universal should really step it up and make something that big. I would love to go on a fun Minions dark ride to spin around in some sort of vehicle to have some some loopy storyline where things go wrong and you see all your favorite characters from Despicable Me. I just think that that franchise at this point has proven itself, especially with the spin spinoff movies. They need to have a dark ride. And I want to see a room full of Minion animatronics. So that's where I'm at. I'm keeping it really real. I'm not going to go for, you know, some E.T. part two type of uh, dark ride pipe dream. I really just realistically think that that should be real estate dedicated to experiencing the minions at a deeper level. Uh, I I hope people don't hate that answer. I feel like some will because I'm dreaming very realistically in terms of budget constraints. But yeah, give me a minions ride. What
4: the heck, you know? Ugh. Hi Carly my name is Allison from Pennsylvania. Before I start my question I just wanted to thank you for getting me through all of my drives to college this semester. I'm just about to wrap up my fall semester and very amusing has very much gotten me through my 40-minute drives a couple days of the week. I transferred to this college uh, in the middle of the pandemic so this is my first time really commuting anywhere so Appreciate having you with me for along for the ride. Basically, felt like I was listening to a friend talk the entire time, so I really appreciated it. My question is I'm going to be moving to the Orlando area starting in January for an internship with Universal. And, you know, I've been to the area before. You know, I've gone for vacations, gone to Universal, gone to Disney, and I want to, while I'm there, experience some different things. So what are some of your suggestions for things to do, you know, in the Orlando area, maybe just on the outskirts of Orlando? Uh, Game Park-wise, I've only really been to Disney and Universal, so anything game for me, honestly. Um, I also haven't done a lot of dining at the Disney Resort, so if you have any suggestions for that, same with Disney Springs dining there. Open book. I really want to make the most of my time in the area, so I'm really looking for suggestions, and I know how you like to plant thing so you would be the person i go to love the podcast can't wait for shrek member and thank you so much for being along there with me and having this podcast through my fall semester of my senior year of college love you carly bye
0: oh my gosh thank you so much for your call i'm so glad i could accompany you on your college drive and hopefully distract you from all your coursework but like kind of in a good way because i want to make sure you you graduate with good grades but Congrats on your move, on your internship with Universal, all of it. I am here for you. Thank you for calling the Churros Hotline. Now, I don't really spend that much time off property when I'm in Florida because I'm often there for work, but I have the perfect suggestion for you. Yeah, you were extremely correct, and then I would have a lot of feelings about this. Your best, best, best resource is going to be Lemon Hearted, spelled like Lemon Hearted. H-E-A-R-T-E-D. Their Instagram account is beautiful. Their website is incredible. And they essentially just round up the best food, coffee shops, cafes, boutiques, and activities in that area. They have impeccable taste. They're always somewhere new, and it will immediately boost you to local in-the-know status. I mean, I'm browsing the site right now at LemonHearted.com. And we've got an Orlando coffee map. 24 foodie spots to try in Orlando right now. There are some neighborhood guides, a 2021 guide to buying plants, a guide to buying plants. So robust, they updated it this year. So be sure to head there. Unlike other sites, it's very beautiful. It's like very shiny and nice. And every photo looks incredible. It'll just make you feel like your new home is also a luxurious, trendy vacation, which is essentially the dream. I'll put that link in the show notes. But again, it's LemonHearted.com and LemonHearted on Instagram. They also just posted some, like, sweet potato latte situation, which I really want to know more about. So if you end up there and they still have it, uh, let me know how it is. I'm very curious. My personal favorites are, of course, Gideon's and East End Market. Uh, There's some really great Vietnamese food in the greater Orlando area as well. But Jeff's Bagel Run is a must because they are great and their bagels are even better. Now, when it comes to Disney, at Disney Springs, you know I'm going to send you to Wine Bar George. It's my favorite place there, and I love it because you can make any meal out of it. You can go there for lunch. You can go there for drinks. You can go there for dinner. The way their menu is formatted, you can get a small plate. You can split large plates. You can go home with tons of leftovers, so it really fits whatever mood you're in for. I also love chicken guy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I love an affordable protein, especially if you're there to live and not just to play. They have, uh, okay, so they have these grilled strips and they have crispy strips, which I appreciate because sometimes you want a little of both. Sometimes you want an affordable protein and you want to fuel up at the same time you indulge. And they have so many sauces. I got to stop yelling about chicken guy. I, I love it so much. And the only other thing I would recommend at Disney Springs, there's a ton of stuff to eat there, but I would recommend going when they open and go to Gideon's. They have really fun coffees and cold brews, and you can get one and walk around. Disney Springs is so pleasant when they open at the beginning of the day, and I think it's a really nice way to experience that as a local because you're not really burning park time since you'll be living there. As for Disney resorts, there are plenty of great sit down restaurants, really good table service options, but you're interning and you're new in town, and I really don't think a bunch of steak dinners is is the move. So I would actually do quick service and then just walk around and explore the hotels. I think wilderness is a wonderful choice. I think walking around the poly is very magical at night. I also, this is weird, but. I'm going to send you specifically to Gasparilla Island Grill at the Grand Floridian. And here's why. Not just because you can catch nighttime entertainment from there. You can see fireworks. You can see the electrical water pageant. It's very dope. But because I had macaroni and cheese the other day from there. And it was maybe the best macaroni and cheese I've ever had in my life. I ordered it when I was at the Grand Floridian Cafe. And because I was so hungry, I got off a flight and I was like, I need macaroni and cheese. And I got it. And it wasn't the traditional Disney kids mac and cheese, which itself is phenomenal. It was creamy. It felt like a homemade, creamier mix between like Disney Mac and Velveeta. It was unbelievably good and creamy and I asked about it being like what is this mac and cheese and apparently it's the same mac and cheese at Gasparilla Island Grill so I would go there order it's probably off menu just a kid's mac and cheese and hopefully it will be the creamy delight that I had I hope that you know provides you with enough good fun in your near future and your fun new life in Orlando I hope it goes wonderfully and let me know if you have any other questions congrats on the new gig show thank you all so much for listening and a very special thank you to sam summers for chatting all things shrek you can find very amusing everywhere you stream your podcasts but a very special thank you to everyone who shared the little spotify wrapped if i was included in it i am so honored that you spend your time listening to me calling in chatting with me solving mini mysteries together i love the community we have built and to see it up on the board up on everyone's top five Oh my gosh, I just appreciate all of you so much and I'm so thankful for everything. We are deep in the swing of things with Shreksember, but if you are curious to go back and listen to our archives and kind of, you know, maybe listen to us even more, you can head to Shreksember.com for easy access to all of our shrek episodes. I say that because um, at the time of recording this, I have not yet finished that website, but knowing this will come out Wednesday is the deadline I need to create for myself to finish it because Squarespace, while easy, is not always fun. So head to Shreksember.com for hopefully something if nothing is there you know something went terribly wrong on my end you can find me carly weisel at carly weisel on twitter and instagram on twitter i will be sharing a whole bunch of shrek memes and silly things all month long to celebrate whatever this holiday is and i spend all day on instagram anyway so nothing new there this episode was edited pleasingly by jeff fox Thanks so much for listening. See you real soon.
2: Hey, y'all. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music?
5: Hey, sweetie, it's Mom. Of course, I always listen to your podcast late at night when the house is quiet. So 2.30, here I am. I just finished. I loved it. I had so much fun with this one. First of all, Shrek Semper is my favorite month of the year. It's very contagious. I love him. He's awesome. But I was a little disappointed to hear that Shrek was was walking around Disney or took pictures in a Santa costume. Not cool. Anyway, I think that on behalf of Shrek Sembrek, to say it right, I think that you should be the Jewish ambassador advisor to the Disney franchise. I think they're missing out. You know everything about Shrek. You know enough about the holiday to make Shrek a little more Jewish and open up eyes and ears to the event because there's very little around, and I agree with you. I this will. I think his name was Kuiper. He was so good. I had no idea because I don't really watch TikTok, but this whole Shrek box is a big thing. This is something. Um, I, he talked about the onion, but then I went on Instagram. There's a, you go under Shrek dot box and you can see all the gifts. Of course, I had to check that out because I was very curious. There's some unbelievable gifts on there. And if he didn't live in Philly and he was by me, I would be in, at his doorstep in that box in five seconds. So I just want to say great episode. I really loved it. And I just wanted to take one minute to say thank you to all those wonderful people who listen to Very Amusing Podcast and your family group as well on Facebook who wish me happy birthday on your Instagram page. I am so grateful to each and everyone who wished me a happy birthday this year. You all made my day so beautiful with your heartfelt words. I truly appreciated it. And yes, I did answer every single person back. It was a wonderful day. Thank you all so much. I love you, honey. Bye.